um, uh, Terry Virgo with us. Um, Terry's led the New Frontiers family of churches for many, many years. And uh, the truth is I've been to every Downs Bible Week and every Stonely Bible Week. So I, I, I grew up, I suppose, to some degree under that uh, ministry and have just so benefited from it. And it's been a great privilege for me to have uh, Terry come to be with us. If we have time at the end, I'm going to do a little bit of an interview with him, uh, just so you know that. Um, but really, we're going to hand over to Terry and let, and let him bring what he feels God's got for us as a church. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I've so enjoyed the worship. I've been looking forward to today very much. And uh, I've been to as a church some years ago, but not in this location. Uh, I understand you have to have words of knowledge to find where you are <laughs> as you move on. And uh, uh, it's great just to uh, be with you and sense God, God with you. Wonderful time just worshipping him, really drawing on him, weren't we, together uh, as we were singing our praise. Uh, such a blessing. I brought a few books with me, which are kind of my custom, a, a table at the back there. Uh, God's Lavish Grace, if you've been around our kind of churches for a while, you'll know there's a real emphasis on grace. I had the privilege of hosting a few Chinese leaders uh, this last week. They're traveling around, came to my home, and uh, it looks like we're going to get it translated into Chinese in the spring of next year, and I hope to be going out on the back of that. Uh, I was in Poland last year, where it's been translated into Polish, and I was so thrilled. So people said, would you sign it? Would you sign it? And a guy came up to me, a massive smile on his face, and he was holding the Polish copy, and he said, you don't have to sign mine. I read it three weeks ago. It's written in my heart. Thought, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so thrilled with that. So I would just commend it to you. If you're happier with uh, the stories of people than you are with principles, then uh, God knows you're human. Uh, is very accessible. I think you'll find that's really a blessing. And then finally, um, the Spirit-Filled Church, most recent book, that uh, seems to be going very well in the U.S., and doors are opening to our churches in the USA because of uh, people really wanting to know about the Spirit-Filled Church. So I'll just commend those to you. They're on a table at the back there. If you want to follow me this morning, I'm in John's Gospel, and uh, from, first of all, chapter 13 one verse, and then into chapter 14. Okay, so John 13, I'm going to read one verse, and then without any explanation, I'm going straight into 14 uh, to read a few verses there. I'm also using the NASB, which may differ here and there with words you have in your translation, but it won't be very, very different. Okay, so John 13, verse 33. Little children... I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me, as I said to the Jews. Now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him. And seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative. But the Father, abiding in me, does his works. Believe me, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also. And greater works than these he'll do. 
because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Father, thank you so much for these incredible words. We thank you that you sent your Son, that we might know you. We thank you that a man could stand before other men and say, he that has seen me has seen God. Father, we just uh, staggered at the accessibility of God, the nearness of God, the knowability. To know you, Jesus, is to know the Father. And Father, we thank you so much that we gather in your name. We thank you for the joy of being your church, your called ones, Lord, your dwelling place in the Spirit. And Father, we, we just ask you right now, would you please send your Spirit? Come, come, Holy Spirit. Just rest upon us. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to really feed on you together. Lord, we're eager to be built up in our faith. We're eager to find the strength of God coming into our lives. So please, Father, let us hear your voice together, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the uh, unique things about our faith is that we claim to know the presence of God. It's a huge privilege. It's something that no other uh, religion claims, that God himself is present with us. Now, of course, in our Jewish, the Jewish roots of our Christian faith take us back to uh, characters in the Old Testament that, that knew the presence of God. Uh, we were hearing right at the beginning of the meeting, uh, talking about Moses and his encountering the presence of God. You remember he uh, was looking after a few sheep, we're told, and suddenly he saw a bush that was burning, and I guess uh, bushes bursting into fire might not have been a rare thing, but this thing was rare in that it wasn't consumed. It kept on, it kept on. And he said, I must go and see this site. What is this? And as he drew near to this bush, to his utter amazement, uh, the voice of God uh, came to him, called him by name, Moses. And uh, he takes off his sandals. He's aware, God's here. God's speaking to me. And uh, not only does God speak to him, he instructs him to go down to Egypt and bring out uh, the Israelite people, which uh, were about two million people. So he goes down and brings up two million. Uh, and if the bush is burning for one man, the whole mountain starts burning for two million. And it says there was lightning and thunder and this bush is quaking. The sense of God's presence is breathtaking. In fact, it says that two million, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but two million people standing in a kind of desert area looking up at this mountain hear God speaking. Two million people hear the voice of God together. As God speaks to them. And it says they heard a trumpet. That grew louder and louder. I mean, terrifying. In the end, they say to Moses, you go up. You know, <laughs> and they're not allowed to touch the mountain if any animal touches the mountain, uh, they're in trouble. And uh, it's, a, it's an awesome, scary thing. And then you read, of course, about how this pillar of glory goes before them so that they are accompanied on their journey by God's presence. This phenomenal thing that uniquely in all the world, you know, there's, there's the nations and nations and nations. There's England and Mexico and Russia and China. But this, this nation, this unique nation, have the presence of Almighty God traveling with them as they journey through the wilderness. In fact, at one time, when God is furious with their dreadful backsliding, he actually says to them, I'm not going to travel with you anymore. And Moses, and Moses prays this prayer. He says, God, you must go with us. If your presence 
doesn't go with us, we don't want to go anywhere. And then he says this, because this is what makes us unique. It's your presence that makes us unique. Now, it could be said the Ten Commandments made them unique. But actually, it was the presence of God that phenomenally made them unique. God actually with them. In fact, not only, not only with them in the pillar of cloud that went before them and glory by night going before them, but also they lived in tents and God said, I want my tent among you. And uh, we read in Exodus 40 how they made the tent and uh, they made it as God directed them to. It says they hung it, uh, I guess, uh, with uh, skins of animals sewn together as they made this tent. And it says, thus Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses wasn't able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Okay, so we've been reading in John's Gospel of how Jesus was among the people, but this does have Old Testament precedent that God was phenomenally with his people. He was with them in a pillar of glory. He was with them in a tent. It says that Moses probably daily would go to the tent, and as he went, it says the people would stand by their tents and watch him go through the camp, go into the tent. He would have presence of God there, and he would come out, and his face is shining. And this people are phenomenally blessed that God is among them. The living God who created the universe is making himself known because he's uniquely with these people. Then we find here in the New Testament, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, talking about Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus was with the Father. He was with, he's God, he's with God. Then it says this, the Word became flesh. At Christmas, we know that. The Word, this living, eternal God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Most translations say dwelt. The actual word, the Greek word, is tabernacled. And so it's probably reflecting on this Old Testament story that that word's used as he's writing. He's thinking that Old Testament, it's in the Old Testament, it says God came into this tent, and uh, now it's not a tent made up of animal skins, it's a human body. And it says that God, he took up his tent amongst us, he dwelt amongst us. And we, it says, beheld his glory. Again, that Old Testament, it says, in the tent, the glory came down. We, now, this is not just a tent, it's not just inanimate, it's not just dead bodies, or dead skins of animals. This is a living person. And he's living among them. God has come in an unprecedented way to live close to people. And if you touch the mountain, you died in the Old Testament. So don't let anybody touch the mountain where the glory was. And one time they're carrying the ark uh, uh, and it slips and a man puts out his hand and he's immediately dead. God's kind of among you, but you better not touch him. But here in the New Testament, John writes later, he says, the life was manifested and we beheld him and we touched and handled the word of life. I wonder what he felt when he's writing that. He's writing, because at first they just met this kind of traveling preacher. They don't know straight away, this is God. They're just amazing. They're listening to his words. And they said, no one ever spoke like this man. Even his enemies went to go and, they went to try and take him captive. He was, they were sent by the Pharisees, go and get him. And they go and they listen to him. And they come back empty-handed. I said, well, where is he? Oh, no one ever spoke like this man. When he spoke, you could hear God speaking. And of course, he didn't just speak. He touched. He touched lepers where no one would touch. He reached out. God's power was flooding through him all the time. And it says, so later on, it says, we handled the word of life. We beheld him. He, he, I mean, John leaned on him. This is God amongst them. They were dwelling with God. God was among them. He tabernacled. D.A. Carson says this, 
God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man. When the word became flesh, God became man and pitched his tent among us. Right, so God is dwelling amongst us. We beheld his glory. But when he says we beheld his glory, it doesn't mean he was walking around with a halo around his head. In fact, the first time it says they saw his glory was at the wedding of Cana. You remember where they ran out of wine? You remember the thing and how Jesus made gallons of wine for them. And it says they beheld his glory. This God who chose to do his first sign, not at the temple, like Satan suggested. You know, throw yourself to them. Tell them no, 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 I'm going to do it at a party. I'm going to a party. I'm going to reveal my glory at a party when they run out of wine. Jesus came amongst them. It was wonderful to have a tent among all the other tents, but only Moses went near it. Now you've got God, and John can lean on him, and lepers can be touched by him. I mean, he's that accessible. He's among them, God among them, and we beheld his glory. It says in John, no one has seen God at any time. He has made him known. Greek was exegesis. When, when you're taught to preach at theological college, you're told to do the exegesis. Funny word, eh? Exegesis. It means, explain what it means. Try what I'm trying to do now. Give the exegesis. And that's the word that's here. No one's seen God. Jesus explained him to us. He made him known to us. He gave the exegesis. He gave, he, it's God coming to us where we are. And again, not in a tent, but in a human form, relating to people, answering questions, reaching in mercy, demonstrating love, kindness, frightening in his treatment of the Pharisees and the religious bigots. You can see God on display in this one. It says in Hebrews 1, I love the opening of Hebrews, it says, he is the radiance of the Father's glory. It says, in these last days, he's spoken, he's spoken in many ways in the Old Testament, but through all sorts of ways. Now, he's spoken to us in a son. In fact, it actually, what it says is he's spoken to us in son. That's what it actually says. So I was preaching in Mexico a few months ago. I preach in English, and a guy translates into Spanish so they can all understand. So I speak in English, they speak in Spanish. It says, God has now spoken to us in son. He's spoken to us in language we can understand. In a human being, someone we can really, we can know God through a person, a life, a guy you can have a conversation with and ask questions. God has spoken in terms that can't be misunderstood. Not a cloud, you think, what's that about? A person that has conversation with you. He has made him known. He says, he is the radiance of the Father's glory. Radiance, it means outshining. <laughs> I came with my friend Johan, we're standing on the station, and I said, I came back to England three weeks ago tomorrow, I think. I've only seen the sun the second day I came home. It was, a, it was an amazing day. It was 17 degrees in London. And I uh, walked along, and I thought, wow, this is lovely. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. I haven't seen the sun since. And, uh, but, you know, sometimes, 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 you see a gap in the clouds. And you see this, you see this sunlight. It's fantastic, isn't it, when that happens? You see a, a sunbeam, you see this whoosh of light. And uh, it says in the Bible, no man has seen God at any time. You can't see God. You can't look at the sun. It would just blind you. It's the same sort of thought. No one has seen God, but this, this, this radiant one, this, this outshining of God. That's what it means. It's the outshining. So I couldn't look at the sun, but I can look at, what is this? Well, it's actually what it is. It's, it's coming from, it's the outshining. It really is God. But in ways you can look at. He's the radiance. And then it says this, he's the exact representation. Jesus is the exact representation of God. And again, what that word representation, it's the same word, 
when Jesus was being questioned and they said, uh, can we pay tax taxes or not? And Jesus said, uh, show me a coin. And they gave him a coin, had Caesar's representation, image on it. He says, whose image is this? They say Caesar's. You remember the story? It's the same word. In other words, they would take molten metal, they would take a stamp, and they'd stamp it. They'd stamp it. They'd stamp it. And what you get on the coin is the exact representation of what is on the stamp. Jesus, we're told, is the exact representation of God. You might say, well, I believe there must be a God somewhere, but who knows what he's like? We know exactly what he's like. Jesus is the exact representation. So, what, do we, what, what does God think about little children? We know what the disciples thought of little children. Get those kids out of here. Jesus said, let them come to me. What's Jesus like with, with, with the lepers who no one wants near? No, bring them to me. What's he like with the, the, the religious bigots? He's scary with them. He sees right through them, you whited sepulchres. When someone's thrown down in front of him, just caught out in sin. I mean, I, I know what God is like. It's not a mystery. It's not kind of a philosophical, I wonder if, you know, he's a creator. No, he just, that's something he did once. He's like Jesus. Utterly, we have the exact. You, you have a God, and it's exactly like Jesus. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. I know exactly what he's like. He is the exact image. He shows me what God is like perfectly. And so here we have this wonderful Jesus, and he's with these disciples. And one day, Philip says to him, as we just read, show us the Father. He says, Philip, how long have you been with me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. I mean, what a statement. This is the exact image. You've seen God in this human being. Perfectly, perfectly. We have a God, and he's just like Jesus. There's no, there's no kind of, well, I wonder if. No, no, we know what he's like. It's wonderful to know him like that. I find that a cause for tremendous excitement. God came to the planet. Imagine what it was like spending time with him. Imagine what it was like. I mean, Peter, James, John, these guys, they're fishermen. Got a family business. They're in partnership. They've got a little fishing business. And one day Jesus walks into their life. Or Matthew's tax collector. Suddenly Jesus walks into his life. Their lives are completely transformed. He says, follow me, come with me. And they leave what they were doing and commit themselves to being with Jesus. I want you to hear this very carefully. They leave everything else to be with him. And, and they just spend their days with him. It says he chose them to be with him. That's all, to be with him. And, and from that time on, I mean, it's just breathtaking. I mean, what was it like to be with Jesus every day? Imagine, imagine when they wake up in the morning, uh, where's Jesus? Oh, he's over there. Oh, he's praying again. Hmm. And he won't be long, I guess. He'll be with us soon. And then you say, what's on today, Lord? You know, yesterday, yeah, I remember you raised that guy from the dead. Whoa, you interrupted that funeral. Whoa. And do you remember then we did that? And then, and then wow, you remember when? It says at one point, he went up a mountain, and it says 5,000 people followed him. And if you read the commentaries, because it says 5,000 men and then women and children. So again, Carson, D.A. Carson says probably 20,000, maybe 25,000 people. Because I only counted the men, don't know why. But it's like 20,000 plus. Follow him up this mountain. And he teaches them and heals them. And then they presumably all sleep on the mountain. Next day, he teaches them some more and heals them. And they sleep up there again. And then the third day, he preaches to them and heals them. And it says, he healed them all. <laughs> 20,000 people. He healed them all. And then he turned to his disciples and said, these people have been with me for three days. They must be starving. I mean, 20,000 people on a mountain with Jesus. And there's no sick person there. It's like God came down and something of heaven touched earth. 
and 20,000 people are well in what we would call a third world situation. There's not medicines, there's no national health, there's a lot of sickness. There's no one sick at all. <laughs> and you, I mean, you're just with Jesus every day, and he does stuff like this. And then the next day he says, uh, he says actually he says to them, you feed them. Let's all send them away. Let's start, no, send them, no, you feed them. Well, we, well, we've got a few loaves, fish. And he breaks them and he says, now, you, feed them. Imagine, imagine what you'd be like. Well, I mean, I, I can imagine Peter saying, okay, um, <laughs> so it's um, <laughs> a bit for you. <laughs> a little bit for you, you know. And then thinking, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wow, being around Jesus. And then one day they're on a storm and Jesus walks on the water. Now this is the incredible <coughs> thing. Jesus walks on water, there's a storm, and what does Peter say? Oh, no, he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Being around Jesus makes you think, I can do things I can't do. It makes you think, he's calling me into another kind of life. It's a great life, it's incredible. He's already said, go out and heal the sick. They've come back and said, hey, the demons are subject. We've just seen the sick healed. Being around Jesus is breathtaking, life-transforming. You can imagine what it was like for these ordinary fishermen, tax collectors, the gang of guys, and their lives have been breathtakingly changed. They are with God. They are seeing God do breathtaking things. And they're doing them as well. That's just a new kind of world, another life. You can't imagine what it was like for them. And then the first verse I read to you. John 13, 33. Little children, I'm with you a little longer. What? What? I'm with you a little longer. I mean, I don't know how many times I've read that, but when I read it not so long ago, I thought, you know, what was that like to hear that? I think I've never heard it with full weight because when I became a Christian, someone said to me, Jesus will never leave you. We've just been singing it. Your love never fails. You'll never give up. You're always with us. And so because we know that, we don't read it the way Peter would have heard it. Do you hear what I'm saying? So Peter hears Jesus say to him, I won't be with you much longer. I think that is just unbelievable. That is, that is terrifying. That is terrible. My life, which was dull, you know, it's quite good if we've got a few fish, but life is pretty ordinary. Now I've been living with you, with God in my life, with this breathtaking experience, and you're what? You're going away? Imagine what Simon Peter went through. It's like, what did it say? He, he said, I left everything to be with you. It doesn't say, when Peter became a Christian, they told him, on Sunday morning, we meet at, what is this, a school? We meet at that school, or that church building, and Wednesday night, you can meet, you know, and, you know, here's this, do that, don't forget. And you've become a Christian. No, we see, with Peter, what is it? I left everything to be with you. That's the deal. The deal is, you're with Jesus. Isn't that true? They call them Christians later. The deal is, Follow me. Be with me. Yeah, okay, I don't know what that means. The power of his call is breathtaking. I don't know what it means. Okay, I'll follow you. And then you start learning what it means. And then you're around Jesus every day. And then you can say, I've left everything. And chose 12 to be with him. To be what we now call a Christian, a follower of Jesus, was just to be with Jesus. That was the deal. Every day. And now, he's not going to be there. Now, he says, I am going away. I'm not going to be around. Now, I can't imagine how shocking that was for Peter. See, for even for, if for Moses in the Old Testament was, if, if, if your presence, whatever that cloud is, if that's not going to go with us, we don't want to go anywhere. That's what makes you dis us distinct. You're with us. Now you've got Simon Peter saying, you're going away? And then, and then he says to him, don't let your heart be troubled. If I go, I'll come back. You're coming back? Yeah, I'm coming back. 
Oh, God, it's okay, it's okay. Lord Jesus, you must never, don't you ever. Oh, it's okay, he's coming back. I don't know where he's going, but he's coming back. Jesus, you mustn't. Oh, you scared the life out of me. You're going, oh, oh it's okay. He said, it's coming back, it's coming back. Thank goodness. Wow, he's coming back. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? What am I saying? Isn't it true? That's what they must, he must have gone through, this roller coaster. I've lost him. No, he's back. Oh, he's back. Jesus, oh, he's terrified, scared the life out of me. You see, to be honest, to be with Jesus was everything. Paul says this, we do not preach ourselves. That's what Paul said. Jesus could never say that. He preached himself all the time. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door to the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread. I am the living. I am. I'm it. And now you're going away? He preached himself all the time. If you're weary, come to me. If anyone's thirst, come to me. He preached himself. And now he's going away. And then he says, thank God, he says, I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. I won't leave you orphans. It must have been so scary to think of his not being there. We used to have a really super pastor in Brighton. In fact, I've just visited him. He's back in Sydney, Australia now. His name is Peter Brooks. He's got a personality large as life. Everybody loved him. He's just a terrific guy. And he was the pastor in the church in Brighton for seven years. He always said, I will go back. I will go back one day. I'll go back to Australia. And uh, the day came. I remember he came into my office. He said, hey, we're going. And, uh, oh, Peter's going. Uh, and, you know, we prayed about it and got ready and had the parties and the farewells. I remember the, the next Sunday I drove down to church. I'm parking. And, uh, and I think, where's Peter's car? I think, oh, you fool. He's gone to Australia. He's gone. And so now we have the kind of fading memory of what it used to be like when Pete was there. Is that the church then? Is the, what is the church? Is the church a group of people with a kind of fading memory of what it used to be like when Jesus was here? Do you remember when he said, oh yeah, well, write that down, don't forget that one. Oh yeah, he said that, yeah. And do you remember when he went, oh yeah, God. Remember, let's just write down what it was like when, when Jesus, when Jesus used to be here. And so the church is a group of people who come and think, that's what it was like when Jesus was here. So wonderful. Of course he's gone now. <laughs> so is that the church? A group of people who think, oh, oh read about Jesus. It must have been wonderful. See, Simon Peter said, I cannot bear to think of you not being here. Even, even when he's dead, Mary Magdalene, who'd been delivered of demons, even when he's dead, goes to the tomb, knowing he's dead. But this kind of heartrending cry, because he's not there, the tomb's empty. And just, they've taken away my Lord. When she's talking about a corpse. And I don't know where they put him. You see, it's being with Jesus was everything to these ones. It's being around him. That's the whole story. It's being around him. She just wanted to be with his body even. They couldn't abide the thought of a day without Jesus. Oh, you know, what are we going to do with our lives if Jesus is not there? And he says, look, don't be scared. I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. Now, you've read that so many times. I know I have. What does it mean? What does it mean? I'll come to you. Well, it's interesting to see what the, uh, the commentators say about that verse. And uh, here's a man called Westcott who wrote a very early commentary. He says this. See, what do you think it means? I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. What do you think it means? This is what Westcott says. The fulfillment of the promise began at the resurrection when Christ's humanity was glorified and the promise was potentially completed at Pentecost. The life of the church is the realization of the Pentecostal coming of the Lord 
which is to be crowned by his coming in judgment. No one of these three is a, is a, is a complete exhaust its meaning. No, I won't bother to read the whole thing. No one of these. So it's the same you'll find in the, if you have an NIV study Bible, so it's exactly the same. It's either his resurrection, it's the Pentecostal coming, or it's the coming at the end. In fact, none of them exhausts it. I don't find that very satisfactory. See, I think, I think his resurrection is wonderful, isn't it? It's breathtaking. Imagine Mary Magdalene, we just said. <laughs> She's there, I don't know where he is, and suddenly Jesus is back. I mean, he's alive. There he is. I can't imagine what it was like for her. It's incredible. He's alive. And yet, you know, in six weeks, 40 days, he's gone again. And so Peter could say, you said you wouldn't leave us orphans, and you've gone again. So I don't think it's just the resurrection, though the resurrection is breathtaking. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. He's alive. This Christ, who no answer from heaven, obviously a cheat and a crook. Now he's vindicated, he's alive. I mean, the resurrection's wonderful. But he's gone again. And then you could say the end of time. It says here, yeah, or his return at the end. Well, that's good news, isn't it? That Jesus is coming. People say, what's going to happen? What's happening to the world? Ozone layers breaking up. Global warming. You know, we can't feed. The economy's gone down the pan. What on earth's happening to the world? The world is terrible. What on earth's going to happen? Well, we know what's going to happen. Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. It's great to know Jesus is coming. It's great to know God's got a plan for the planet. It's great to know he's got new heavens, new earth. He's got his hand. The whole thing is in God's hands. Wonderful. But you know, for Simon Peter, who's been with Jesus every day, and says, I won't leave you orphans. In like three or four thousand years, I'll come back. What? What about tomorrow? I had tomorrow in mind. So for me, what he's really saying is what they call the second thing. I think it's the only thing. It's the coming, the Pentecostal coming. In fact, John Hendrickson, William Hendrickson, says in his commentary, what Jesus means is my departure will not be like that of a father whose children are left orphans when he dies. In the spirit, I am myself coming back to you. When the Spirit is poured out, Christ truly returns. Thus only can it be explained that the disciples are not left as orphans. Okay, it's when the Spirit comes. That's why It's like on the day of Pentecost, they're waiting in this upper room. There's, you know, the days have slipped by and Jesus has died. All oh, what's going on? They're hidden away. Suddenly, there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind. Fire falls. They get filled with the Spirit. And I can imagine Simon Peter standing up and saying, He's back! He's back. And if you look at the book of Acts, that's what it looks like. Although he's in the spirit, it looks like Jesus is back. It looks like Pilate could say, I thought I killed him. What's going on here? I thought, hey, come on, Stephen here, there's Philip there, there's Peter there, there's he, what's going on? It's like Jesus is back. It's like suddenly he's amongst us again. It's like it, nothing, nothing stopped. I thought I thought I'd smashed this. No, no. It's all happening. It's all around us. And, and, and Mary Magdalene, she tried to get hold of Jesus, and he said, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to my father. It's like, it's not going to be any more touch, handle, physical. You're going to have to get to know me in a new way when my spirit comes. When my spirit comes. But for these early apostles, when the spirit came, it was like having Jesus back. See, Jesus said this, it's to your advantage if I go away. If I don't go, the Spirit won't come. I wonder, dear friends, if we, if we think about it in those terms. I just felt God brought me back to very familiar words with a kind of fresh perspective because how did Peter feel when he heard it? What was it like for the 
apostles who were around him every day, the disciples, is suddenly not there. And then say, no, it's okay, I'm coming back. Being a believer is being around Jesus every day. You can reduce it to a lot less than that. You can say, oh, do I have to be at the meeting? Do I have to read my Bible? You see, we can, we can make Christianity something pretty pathetic compared with this. The reality is, Jesus presented himself. Paul said, we don't preach ourselves. Jesus said, I do preach myself. And to be a Christian is to be around Jesus. Have you been with him this morning? He said, I'm here. Great. Will you be with him tomorrow morning? You can have time with him. You can spend some time with him. You can be enjoying him. You can be listening for him. You can be speaking to him. See, to be a believer is to be with Jesus. It's possible to slip from that. It's possible to just feel like you've got to do your duty. You know, you made that big decision when you said, all right, I've become a Christian. And I'll try not to swear so much as I used to. And I'll try and be good to my wife, whatever. After the explosive possibility, I live my life with God. <laughs> and God lives with me. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about God coming in our lives. We're talking about God being around. God strengthening us. God whispering to us. God saying things to us. Like we found in this church this morning. God's opening doors of opportunity to us. God in our lives with us. Helping us. Encouraging us. As Owen said so helpfully, we're singing that song. You know, he's, he's everything we need. He's going to be there for us. He'll never fail. And so, no, no, take that with you. What is it scares you this week? What's going to happen? I don't know how the money's going to go around. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's like, no, I've got to bring him into my life. I've got to live with him. It's not a psychological thing. It's not kind of mind over matter. It's knowing he's around and living with him. See, Jesus said this, the Spirit is coming. He says, you, he, you, you know him because he has been with you. He will be in you. They've seen the Spirit on Jesus. They've seen the power of Jesus. Peter talked about he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed. God was with him. And Jesus said, you know what it's like having him with you because he's on me. He's going to be in you. You are going to have an experience. You're going to become the tent. God's going to make his dwelling in you. God's going to be really in you, in your life in your life together, as he has been with us this morning. But it's so possible to see Christianity as something so much less than that. Maybe even now you'll think, Lord, I, I don't know if I live with you, really. I don't know if it's like what it's like for Peter when he used to wake in the morning and think, where's Jesus? Oh, he's over there, okay. He won't be long now, we'll be, what we're we doing today, Lord. The excitement of living your life with Jesus. Enjoying his friendship, his companionship. That's Christianity. The Apostle Paul said later, and he wasn't part of the 12, later, he said, for me to live is Christ. We sang our new song, I think it was a new one. I just want to know you. Paul said, everything else is trash. I want to know you. It's being with you. And I, I don't care about I want to get to know you more. Is that how it is for you? I just want to get to know Jesus more because I'll get to know God more and he's around me. Because if we've got off that center, we've really lost the way a bit. I want to encourage you that really it's an exciting adventure. We found God. And God wants to be in every part of our lives and enrich our lives. One more thing. Just the opening part of that verse, that chapter. Let me read that with you again. And let's draw to a close. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Let me read the previous verse. In my Father's house there are many dwellings. If it weren't so, I'd tell you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What's that mean? Well, we've just said later on in the chapter when he says, I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. I am saying that is not about the end of the world. That's about the Holy Spirit coming. I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. I'm sure that's what it means. You can weigh it for yourselves. Now, what does it mean when it says the same sort of thing at the beginning? 
I go to prepare a place for you, and if I do, I'll come again. When? What does that mean? I'm going to prepare a place for you. What do we tend to think that means? I think we tend to think, well, when I die, Jesus has got a room ready for me. He's going to get it ready. So, you know, he's giving it a fresh lick of paint. <laughs> he's kind of pushing up the cushions. He's getting his place ready for us. Now, again, just, it's so important, to be honest, to think, what did it mean when it was said? That's the way to understand the Bible. What did it mean when the words were said? And then we get asked, it's not spoken, in, it's spoken into a real-life situation. He's talking to guys who are going to get used to the fact Jesus isn't around. Don't let your heart be troubled. <laughs> That's why I read verse 33, then jumped straight to verse chapter 14. Because we tend to read that verse out of context. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. We think, oh, good verse. Stick it on the wall. Put it in the air. <laughs> let not your heart be troubled. It's, the context is, I won't be here much longer. What? Don't let your heart be troubled. That's the context. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare, I'll come again to receive you to myself. That where I am, you can be. What's that mean? Well, let me just give you a suggestion what it maybe does mean. Maybe it does not mean that when I die, Peter, when you die, don't worry. I'm going to, this is used to being around you, Peter, every day. When you die, I'll have a room. No, I don't, I don't know about that. It's like, what about tomorrow, Lord? I'm going to prepare a place. And if I'm going to prepare, then I'll come again and receive you to myself. I'd like to suggest to you that the coming again is the coming of the Spirit. And the receiving is enveloping him into a life of communion with God in the Spirit. A bit like, a bit like what Paul says. Paul says... We were dead in trespasses and sins. He raised us up and made us seated with him in heavenly places. That's what the Bible says, that's where we are. It says in Colossians, the opening ch chapter 3, it talks about, since you're above, sitting up, you're sitting above. You're up above, that's where you live. That's where you, our, dwelling, our citizenship's in heaven. That's where we live. And we know that doctrinally. We know Paul tells us that we're seated with him. John uses different language, if you like. He says, you can experience being with him. The Spirit comes and brings you into... He pulls us somewhere else. My life is hid with Christ in God. It's wonderful, isn't it? My life is hid with Christ. It's like taking a piece of paper, putting it in an envelope, and then putting the envelope in your Bible, and say, right, that's where my life is. It's hidden with Christ in God. We're seated with him in heavenly places. What makes that real? What makes that more than just words? Sister in Ephesians, it's the Spirit coming to us. It's like, so when, since I've read it this way, in my worship time in the morning, I, I often pray it like, so I say, every day, Jesus, you're my dwelling place. I will come and receive you to myself. Every day, Jesus, you're my dwelling Even David in the Old Testament said, to be, I want to dwell in this house. I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. And David was an amazing kind of new covenant man living in the old covenant, wasn't he? He said, I just want to be in his house. Just one day in his house, just to behold his beauty, just to be with him. Now for those, that was manifest in the temple. God's presence was in the temple. God's presence was in the tent. And that's why David hated to be away. I want to get back. I want to be in the house of the... I want to be to behold the beauty. I want to be in this manifest presence of God. And so for us, God is saying, I'm with you. I won't leave you. All right, so he's gone back. The Spirit has come. And so that we can enjoy God. And if we're not living with God, we're kind of falling short of what these early people knew. For Peter, to have said to Peter, you're a Christian now, get to church on Sunday morning, don't forget Wednesday night. I think he said, what are you talking about? I won't be with Jesus. And the thought of his not being around is unbelievable. I can't handle it. Oh, don't be worried. <laughs> I saw that. I'm coming back. <gasps> He's coming back. I can be around him again. 
That's what I found. That's what, that's what it is to be a Christian, to be around Jesus every day, to experience him, to know him. Is that how it is for you? That's what's on offer. That's what's on offer, to know him and be with him. Yeah, no longer in physical form, but by his spirit. Let's stand to pray. And I'd like to, when we've prayed, I'd love to, I'd love to pray for, for sick people. Because Jesus is here. <laughs> He's in his church. He's in his church. He's here. He's not left us. So he's with us. So I'd love to pray for people. But let me just pray for us all, first of all. Let me encourage you just to draw near to God right now. I just want you to ask yourself, what does this mean for me? Am I living... uh, Do I live with Jesus? Is he in my life with me? If I settle for a lot less than that, Beloved, this is what it is to be a Christian, is to live life with Jesus. To be around him, to to just know his presence with you, to converse with him, to bring things to him, to anticipate his involvement, that he'll be with you, he'll help you. He'll breathe peace into you. He'll banish your fears. He'll teach you to... He'll teach you to walk on storms, actually. Things you, he'll teach you that you can walk in a way you never thought possible. You never thought you could walk on storms. You thought, I'm bound to sink. Life's so scary. But with Jesus, you can live a new way. You can, you can cope, because he's right there with you. Why don't you... Just come to him freshly today and say, Lord, maybe for some of you, you want to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I've, I've lost this personal thing. I love it. I love it when it's personal. I loved it in the worship when, when I sang to you, I really trust you and I really believe you. That's when it all comes alive to me. God wants that like that every day. He'd love you to sing to him in the morning at home every day. He wants to live with you. He wants to be in your life. Maybe you want to say to God, Father, I'm sorry. I've drifted from this. Maybe I never understood it before. But I want to live with you. Please forgive me that I, I settled for religion instead. I settled for two meetings a week. I settle for so much less than is on offer. Please forgive me. Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. See, sometimes we say, come into my heart. Let's just say, Lord, come into my life. I want you in my life. In my workplace, in my family, in my home, in my supermarket, in my life. I want you with me. Lord Jesus, I pray for this lovely church. I thank you for your presence as we were worshipping and as we've been together here. I pray for every person here. Father, I ask you for a renewed awareness of the incredible thing you've called us to, to be with you and you to be with us. Lord, I, do, I just worship you that you want, you want to be in our lives. You want to show us what God's like. You want to come right in. And Father, I ask you, just come freshly. Come freshly. I pray for some who've made bad choices lately and they know that they've walked in ways you wouldn't want to be around. Just forgive us our sins, Lord. Forgive us our silly choices, our bad choices. Help us to choose because Jesus is here. Because Jesus is right there in our lives. I'm asking you, Father, right now, keep blessing this church. Bless every small group. Bless every endeavor to make you known. Bless the upcoming house party, time away. Lord, be, let your presence be so obviously there. 
just keep coming in and blessing and strengthening, helping us to show you to others. Just pray we might live with you. I pray we might often remind ourselves what it was like for Peter to think, I cannot bear a day without you. Lord Jesus, please, please, I pray, let us not live loads of days without you, without realizing it, without even caring. Help us, Lord, not as some duty, but out of sheer joy to live life with you. Please bless this word to us, we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. I'd love to pray, and I feel, uh, I want to pray, if, if you've got, if you get lower back pain, all right, I'd like to start there. If you get lower back pain, you've maybe had to live, just take a seat, please relax. You, you feel, you get, you get pain in your lower back. Um, maybe it shoots down the sciatic nerve sometimes. If you get lower back pain, I'd love to pray for you. If you get neck and shoulder pain, I'd love to pray for you. And uh, I think there may be one, more, one or two more things as we go on. But I'd, I'd like to start praying uh, for people with lower back pain. I personally was healed when I had terrible lower back pain. Uh, I went to the doctor. Uh, he sent me to the hospital. Um, and the hospital took x-rays. Uh, couldn't resolve it. Didn't know what it was about. And uh, having sat in the waiting room on their bench for ages, the counsel was, don't sit on hard seats. I thought, well, thank you. And uh, anyway, I lived with it for a while. Then I went to see an osteopath, and I lay on his bench, and he said, well, the pain's there, but the problem is this. You've got one leg longer than the other, because um, he could see that. So I went back to him every month or every week. Every week, I think it was, for kind of trying to manipulate my body. And uh, it cost me money and didn't get better, so I stopped. And a guy came to my church some time later and preached and said at the end, like I'm saying now, if you've got back pain, would you come forward? I went forward, and uh, so did several when we were sitting right across the front. And uh, he said, some of you have got one leg longer than the other. I thought, well, that's what the osteopath said. <laughs> so he sat on the floor, took my feet in his hands, as he did for others, and it's very visible, one leg's longer than the other. As you just put the heels together, you can see the difference. He prayed a short prayer, and my short leg grew. In seconds, it grew. And that was the end of pain. And I stood, and uh, I, I, stood, I went to a soccer game the following Saturday. I watched Brighton two hours without pain, and that's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I never had that pain ever since. And prayed. I prayed for some, a guy in... Uh, Matt Hosier's, uh, yeah, Matt Hosier's church not long ago, Poole, and I prayed for him on the Saturday and on the Sunday. He, he interrupted the worship. So I want to testify. He said, uh, every morning when I get up, the only way I can go downstairs in the morning is to go downstairs backwards because the pain, that's the only way I can do it. He said, Terry prayed for me last night. He said, I ran downstairs this morning. Another lady put her hand up. She said, said, 21 years, I've never been able to put my own shoes on. I can't. She said, Terry prayed for me. I put my own shoes on this morning. And uh, I prayed for a lady at Sunbury not so very long ago, and she had neck pain. She said, I don't know if you noticed during the worship, because she was in the worship group. So I don't know if you noticed. I saw her there, actually, just worshipping. Didn't think much about it. She said, that's as far as I can get my hands up. I can't get them any further. And uh, would you pray for me? She said, I had surgery. And she showed me. She had four vertebrae. I see the scar here. And so we're praying. People are People's legs have been growing, and we're getting used to God's here. And so I said, well, let's just raise your hands. And I prayed for her. I said, don't raise your hands further. She went, so I can't raise them above here, and I can't get them back here. That's, the, that's that. That's all I can do. And so we, we prayed. And I said, now just raise your hands. She began to raise them. Oh, I'm scared, she said. I said, come on, let's do it. So we went up and up and up and up, and tears started coming up here. And her hands went up and up, and her friends were all around. They are all laughing. And she put her hands behind her head. She said, I haven't done this for years. Other people have to shampoo my hair. And she, she said, I can't believe it. And then she put her hand down and held her hands behind. She said, I can't do this. I can't do this. And she was completely healed. See, Jesus is in his church. Jesus is in his church. So I'd love to pray for people. And, and I'd like to pray that, that lower back thing first. 
I've seen so many people healed from that, so many. Uh, even this last week, I was at a multi-church meeting at Richmond. A girl came forward, and she said to me, they told me at the hospital I've got the back of a 70-year-old. I'm 30. And I prayed for her, and she jumped up, and she danced around. She said, I don't feel any more pain. So Jesus is here. So without fuss, we just pray, Lord Jesus, we welcome you here. We thank you you're in your church. We thank you so I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Lord Jesus, we welcome you. We love being with you. Pray that you will just manifest your presence to us here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, it's great being in a small kind of setting here so we can crowd around if we want. If anyone's got lower back pain, would you like to just come forward? And we'll sit, would you like to sit in this front row? Just clear my books out of the way.